Fouad has joined us here, and I know he has a question. So please go ahead. Hey, Tom. Hey, everyone else. One one question came directly up into my mind when I was sitting here five minutes ago. I haven't write it down, but maybe I can um, ask it anyway. I, w I was just thinking when I when I sit here, like putting my hands on the paper and uh, see my clothes, and uh, some parts in my room are not um, able to or uh, would be not so smart to put it on the screen. The, the, nothing really dangerous or something, but um, it's private stuff. So I was thinking, um, might it be, uh, could it be able in the future that um, um, is there maybe a technology that can uh, reproduce that information, um, put it on a screen, take it maybe from the, because I can see it, I, I, I see my room. I put the information out to the larger consciousness system and maybe in 20 or 100 or 1,000 years, there are entities who can take out that information out of the larger consciousness system and put it back into a screen. A screen. Um, did you understand the question? Um, not real well, but let me talk a little bit around it and maybe it'll help you focus it more. Um, yes, the, everything that is in your environment and that you do and that you see and are aware of all of that will persist in some way in the database that others can look at or you can come back and look at it. Now, it might, it might not be exactly as you see it, that some of the details may be lost, but it, it will be details that aren't that important. The important, the important part of it, the important uh, essence of it will be captured in the database. So you can go back to any place in your life, or if you say a thousand years from now, people could get into that database and look at this. And maybe they might not look just at you, but they may look at people like you. You know, it may be more generalized a thousand years from now. But in any case, information is kept. It's not kept forever. Um, the system does purge, uh, information that's not being used but it keeps a lot of information so information is always available so uh, go ahead and form your question up a little a little better yeah, it, it was just the, the the thought that um maybe they're, they're able then really to to um put every little pixel of my room into uh um out from the larger consciousness system into a, a, a new hyper quantum computer and get there out everything that I'm just seeing right now. So it makes one to one um, the data um, watchable on the on a screen. That yeah. like, probably, like, yeah, they like, probably won't won't uh, capture every pixel, but they'll capture enough pixels to get the to get the essence of it. You see, there, there's meaning and significance in things, and it will capture that more than it necessarily captures every every pixel. But yes, a lot of that a lot of that is captured. It's, you know, you're a consciousness. You you are looking at your room, and that information is part of you. It's part of your database, part of your memory. That's in the system, and it will remain in the system. Not necessarily forever, but as long as there's some usefulness for it, somebody can use it, somebody can even use it in a in a general way, then it stays there. And it stays anyway just as a record for a fairly long time. But 10,000 years go by, and if nobody uses the information, then the information might get deleted. So it doesn't necessarily last forever, but it uh, it lasts for as long as it's useful. Um, and another question related to um, extraterrestrial is um, if ETs are also just data or avatars, which entities are controlling this data? Is it also controlled by the larger consciousness system or are there maybe entities outside that larger consciousness system on a higher dimension controlling some or many parts of that larger consciousness system and what 
Yeah. And what do you know about the so-called archons or the toxa, toxoplasma? But that's the second part, so maybe first part. Okay. Um, we being individual units of consciousness, we are uh, we exist only within the system that I call the larger consciousness system. Okay. So what might be outside that system, we can only make conjecture about. We can guess, we can make up stories, but we can't have any firsthand knowledge because we are individuated units of consciousness. We're pieces of this larger system and we can't, we have no definition. We have no existence outside of this system. We're pieces of the system. So we can't get outside of the system of which we're a piece to, you know, to look at what happens out there. We don't know. It's not territory that we can, that we can get to. It's not information that's available to us. So all we can do is make guesses and wave our hands about it and make up stories and hopefully not make up beliefs about it. So the best thing to do is just say, well, I don't know. Don't know what's outside the larger consciousness system. If anything, there may be nothing outside there. That's a, also a possibility that there's nothing outside of that system. Nothing at all. That all existence is inside the larger consciousness system. Or there may be something else out there. You know, I do then, I explore that in my books where I talk about uh, the larger consciousness system being just one cell of some larger thing. And then I make the joke that that's an Aomasaurus, you know, so we can do that, but we need to do it with humor. We need to do it with realizing that these are, this is just conjecture. There's nothing very fundamentally real about any of it. It's just things that we might think about, but things that we will never know and not never know because we're just too dumb to figure it out, but we never know because we can't know because we're, we can't exist outside the system. So all we can get at best would be secondhand information. You know, maybe I've, you know, you can ask the system, hey, larger kinds of system, do you know of anything that's outside of you? And when I have done that, I get nothing back, which is perhaps the answer. Nothing, you see. Okay. But it's something that, that the system is either not aware of or that there's no point telling me about it because there's nothing that's going to help me grow or not grow. It's useless information to me. It's just information that I can turn into a belief or not believe. So I can say, oh, well, the LCS tells me that, so I'll believe it. I'm skeptical of everything. So you never know exactly what the source is. Even if the source says, yeah, I'm your old friend, the LCS, you can believe what I say. I'm still skeptical. See, because something else could have said, I'm your old friend, the LCS. You can believe what I say. You don't get information with tags on it that, that, that tells you what the source is. So you have to be skeptical of everything. So if something said, oh, yeah, outside the system, you know, that's where all the little pink elephants live. You know, I would be skeptical, even if that thing said that it was the LCS itself. You know, I'm God, so listen to me. You know, here's what's out there. I'm skeptical. You have to stay skeptical, and if it's not your experience, it's not your truth. If it's not your truth, hold it aside with skepticism. Don't make a belief out of it, because then it's just a belief you hold, and that's the road to ruin if you start to take things based on, you know, you've you've examined the source, you believe the source, there's so you believe anything the source tells you. That is not a good idea. You should stay skeptical of everything. So I don't know what's outside the LCS, if anything. Um, and even if I was told by the LCS, I would be very skeptical of it. And I really probably wouldn't repeat it because I don't have any other way to verify it. See, mostly when I come to conclusions and I say, well, I think this is real this way because I almost always have two or three different independent paths that are verified that that is a thing. But if I just have the LCS tell me something, what are my other two or three paths that I need to verify that before I'll give it credibility? I don't have them. I just have one. And if I just have one, I'm skeptical. And that's the only way you can work your way through this reality and not lose yourself in it. 
not get lost in your own ego or in your own beliefs or in somebody else's ego or their beliefs. It's not your experience. It's not your truth. Yeah. If something comes to you, even from a, from a honored source, if you don't, if you can't verify it, then it's not your truth. It's not your experience. Don't take some, some other source that you believe and turn that into truth. Your truth has to be your experience. Otherwise, remain skeptical. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, now, yeah. Now you gave me the um, the idea to ask another part to that question because you said um, talked about belief, but what's about that um, thinking um, the way you are actually thinking? Um, is only a belief system to believe that the larger con consciousness system cannot look out of it or me as an individual unit of consciousness cannot look out outside the larger consciousness system what's about the idea that this is just a belief system of myself or of you and um, if if we have the belief that we can go um, out of it okay. well what we what you do and what I do is that you, you, we have experiences. From those experiences, what I have done is I've made a model of reality from my experiences. Okay, I've had these experiences in the non-physical. I've had these experiences in the physical. I come up with a model that, that explains all of my experiences. Now, that doesn't make that model truth. The model's just a model. It's a, it's a system of understanding that enables me to explain all of the facts of my experience and to be a fact in my experience has to be something that's verified from several different independent points of view okay so that's how you become a fact in my experience that's a that's something that uh, i've seen and i've looked at it in different ways and okay that's one of my facts may not be anybody else's fact but that's one of my facts so i come up with a model that explains all of my facts That's why it's my big toe, you see. It's not necessarily, I don't want other people to believe my big toe is their big toe. You can't just make that a belief. You have to work up your own big toe from your own experience. That's what you have to do. Not just take mine and believe it because you think I know. That's a mistake. You have to work up your own. So in any case, I do that. And when I do, I come to the logical deduction based on the facts that I know that this system, okay, that I'm, that I'm locked into this system because I'm a part of it and that anything outside of the system really isn't that significant to me because it doesn't have anything to do with my growth and my growing up. And if it doesn't have anything to do with my evolution, then it's really not all that interesting. So, or that doesn't have anything to do with, with growing, with anybody's growing up, not just necessarily mine, is not that interesting because we grew up by making choices here and by those choices we evolve. Um, so I get to that space and rather than make a belief about it, I just let it be possibilities. So right now I don't see, I don't have any way of coming up with specific possibilities of what's outside the larger consciousness system. Therefore, I don't have any, you know, I, I, I just don't have a whole lot to say about it. There's nothing I can do because I have no direct information because I'm a piece of consciousness, a piece of the larger consciousness system. So what's outside that system's outside of my, my knowledge. So I just quit there. It's not a belief. It's just logic that's come to an endpoint of where it can't know anything anymore you know you've got to your boundary and you can't see past the boundary because that's the boundary in which our existence is so you get to that boundary and if you start making up things about what's on the other side of that boundary then that's just a belief and it's useless okay so i just stop there and say we can't see beyond it because i see no rational way that that's possible there's no there's no logic to hang on to go out there You see, there's nothing out there but a belief and making up a belief about it is counterproductive. There's no logical way to get there and have experience outside of the reality in which I exist. I can't have experience in a reality outside of the one in which I exist. You see, so if I have no experience and there's nothing I can say about it.
So that's where I'm coming from. It's not that I have a belief that there's nothing out there. It's just that I can't say anything about it. I have no opinion about it one way or another. And because all those things are fundamental, they're not just about me. Everybody else is in the same boat. Everybody else who's an individuated unit of consciousness also can't get out into an area in which it doesn't exist. It's a logical, you know, uh, what, oxymoron. You can't experience in a region in which you don't exist. It's just an oxymoron. So, <clears throat> or it's a tautology, I guess, put in that way. Anyway, so I know that that's the state of all individuated units of consciousness because we are units of consciousness. Now, that's just my model. You see, my model isn't necessarily the truth. It's just a model that lets me understand all the facts of my experience. Those that have been in the non-physical, those that have been in the physical. So that's the way you have to look at it. So it's not that I believe there's nothing else out there. It's just, there's a, it's a, it's the null point as far as coming up with, with the explanations of it because it's outside of things. So none of that is, is, is a belief. So we say, well, how do you know that this is the system and you're in it isn't just a belief? Well, you know, and my only, I guess the most accurate answer to that is, well, I don't know. All I know is that I've come up with a model that is based on my experience to the best of my ability. Now, could have some beliefs crept into that model someplace and that one of my facts is not really a fact, it's a belief? Well, that's possible. I've tried not to let that happen. I've tried to be very careful about only seeing, you know, you have to have several independent data points and so on, but it's possible. Yes. It's not impossible. People make mistakes. So I'm not going to say, well, I'm sure I haven't made a mistake. That would be a belief, <laughs> not a fact. So I would be very skeptical of that. So maybe, maybe there's, you know, some of my facts aren't facts, but I've been very careful in my explorations and doing my science and doing my experimenting. And I've ended up with this model, just mine. You need your own. Can't believe mine. Well, you can believe mine, but it's not going to help you grow up. You see, it may help you create a structure in which you can understand things better, but it isn't going to help you grow up. Well, it's, it's really hard to find my own toe because, And when somebody asks me about you, I'm just saying, this is the guy with the best theory I know, but I'm not able to get um, on the same level of having a theory. That That's why I'm actually following your theory, because that's, but I never did the experiences um, that you did. I only can say that I, I, I actually, I think um, this is the best theory and yeah. Maybe tomorrow there's another guy called Bob or Tom Two or whatever, and he has a better, better theory, and then I will uh, be interested more into that. So, But I'm not on the level that I can say I did my um, own research and came up with my um, own theory. I'm, the only theory I actually can do is the theory I'm doing in, in normal life with going to the supermarket and having experiences with other people or talking to other people but mm -hmm. not on that level yeah that's exactly where you should be you see you take a you take somebody else's model you take my model and you look at it and you can say well from my own experience that makes sense but i'm not married to it it's not a belief it's not that you know I, that this is the way the only way this is the truth that would be a mistake you could say well it fits the data better than any other model And I'll use it to help understand the data that comes to me. Fine. But you stay skeptical. You should always be skeptical. So as you use that model to explain your own experience, and as long as that model works for you, then continue to use it. You see, it's not that you shouldn't use anybody else's model. Use other people's models. Just don't believe in them. Don't make them the truth. Make them useful tools. So you use my model, use it as a useful tool for understanding your life, for understanding your own experience. And when it doesn't help you understand your own experience, well, then either you're not applying it correctly or you need a different model. 
or you need more experience to understand more about that experience. So then you work on those things, whatever, wherever that takes you, you work on it. But it's not a matter of believing my model's the truth. You said it perfectly right. You know, if some other models does better, then you should use that model. So you use people's models to help understand things, but only within the context that they help you understand your own experience. And only with your own experience is where your truth lies. Don't be sucked into somebody else's model as a belief that is the truth, and I have to duplicate that or I'm wrong. That isn't a good place to go. You need to say, I'm using the model, and as long as it helps me, I'll continue to use it. But I don't believe it. I'm just using it. I'm skeptical about it, but so far it's been useful, so I'll keep using it. See, you hold it out there, and the in between the I believe it and I don't believe it, there's a big space in between there that just has a lot of probability in it. Well, this model has a high probability of being correct, but don't accept it as correct. Always be skeptical. So keep things in that probability space rather than forcing him to be in the I believe it space or I don't believe it space. Let it stay in between those two in the maybe space. And as long as it works for me, I'm going to keep working with it. When it stops working for me, I'll move on or I'll find out why it stopped or maybe my understanding of it isn't complete. I'll come to a fireside chat and ask questions and see if I can't, uh, you know, get past the the sticking point. See, so that's just your own exploration, your own, your own, uh, you know, your own scientist inside just doing experiments and seeing what, what makes sense and what doesn't and going from there. Okay. And, um, yeah, the last part of the, um, other questions um, might be, um, in terms of assimilated reality or the matrix, How does the larger consciousness system create things through patterns? Patterns like fractals, spirals, the structure of the Akasha, the connection between the simulation and the machine that creates um, the fractal world. Can you say something about that? Well, yeah, you know, fractals are a mathematical thing. Okay, they're a math they're a math process, and we see fractal geometry and when we talk about fractals we're usually talking about geometry you know geometric fractals and there are other kinds of fractals like process fractals that are even more uh okay kind of at a deeper level of our reality of the process fractals but in the geometric fractal region that is a form of math that is very simple it's a very simple math in that you just take a simple thing and you you reiterate it And you change levels, you change scales, you keep building the same thing on itself. And that can build up some very intricate results. The results of the simple thing, reiterating, can build up very complex things. So it's a simple way to make complex things or make complex things out of a, out of a simple germ, a, a simple idea. Okay. Well, This is a virtual reality, and that means it's a computed reality. So everything we have has to be computed. And we have <clears throat> things that have very complex uh, structures here. And in order to represent them in the physical, in this virtual reality, the system has used fractals, geometric fractals. So we'll look at snail shells, and we look at the way that, uh, uh, you know, various other natural things form and we find that we can represent the physical world in terms of geometrical fractals pretty accurately that was the big breakthrough in animation when animators used to draw pictures and then draw another picture that was slightly different and another picture slightly different and by drawing a bunch of pictures like that they created motion but everything had to be hand drawn And it was very expensive because it was very labor intensive doing all those slightly changed pictures. Now they found that fractal math can look like those scenes and you can generate them just out of simple mathematics in a computer. So now instead of hand drawing a picture of a forest with trees, with leaves and water and 
rocks and all that sort of thing and getting to having to hand draw that for every frame. Computers can create all of that out of fractal images where they take a simple thing and let it run and there you go. You got a sky full of clouds or you got water or you get a rock cliff coming out of water. You get all kinds of different things. So suddenly in the animation world, animation became easier because it could be generated in computers out of fractals, out of fractal math. So here we are in a virtual reality. You know, that's the same problem that animators were in, right? Animators had to create images that told a story. Well, here we are with a with a virtual reality, and we have humans and seashells and all kinds of things in this reality, and it uses fractal math to a, a very large advantage to itself to create great complexities with simple processes. So that's why we see fractal geometry all through the natural world, from from seashells to you know to the way uh, coral reefs build up in structures. All sorts of things. If you look at them, you can see that they represent fractal patterns, fractal geometric patterns, which is why fractal fractal geometric patterns can mimic and can represent the natural world. See, it works both ways. So that's why we have these fractal patterns, and that's why they exist, and that's why uh, these same patterns get used over and over again in a multitude of different ways because they happen to be very efficient ways to render things. And this is a rendered reality. So that's kind of the connection between being a virtual reality and us seeing all of these nifty, uh, you know, fractal patterns. And it's not just fractals. It's other simple math, too, like the, what is it, the Fibonacci, Fibonacci, something like that uh, series. I don't remember the pronunciation, but uh, anyway, we see we see simple series like that. See again, it's it's simple math and a computer that can do iterations on simple math to create complex shapes. So we see that series showing up in all sorts of things in the natural world. Well, that just is a great tool if you are a rendering engine trying to render something that's complex. Well. That simple math rendering complexity is just a great and efficient way to do it. So that's why we see that kind of stuff all over the place. Lots of different physical things are shown by these simple, repetitive mathematical functions. Thank you you for that. Um, The next question is from Olaf. And um, unless someone present here right now has a question, or if you do, please go ahead and type it in and you'll be next. I'll read Olaf's question next. If I remember correctly, Tom once said that just because an entity is located in NPMR doesn't necessarily mean he, she, or it knows more about the nature of reality per se, and that the knowledge which is included in the MBT trilogy is not common knowledge in MPMR at all. So that leads to two questions for me. His first question is, what is then the reason or motivation for entities to reincarnate in our PMR on Earth if they don't know the big picture provided in MBT? Well, the reason is they do have an innate sense of needing to change themselves. They can understand that if they're just static, they're also stagnant. They're not going anywhere. They're not learning anything. They just are and they can exist, but nothing's happening. And every individuated unit of consciousness has within it a fundamental drive to grow, to become, to move forward, to evolve. That's just everybody has that feeling. That's what makes us you know, turn the page. That's what makes us, you know, want to want to go on. We want to learn. We want more experience. We want to do better. We want to grow up. So we have this thing about needing to evolve ourselves. And if you're sitting in NPMR and nothing much is going on, and let's say you've just come from a life here, so you're you were in the you were in the physical virtual reality, and now you're in the transition reality. And you decided that you don't want to go back to that virtual reality because, gee, that last one was really tough. And 
you had a lot of heartache and you don't want to go back there. Well, then you sit for a while and pretty soon you just get bored. You don't have to sit, go do something, you know, use your intent, make something. In that space, you can just create things, create a little house, you know, with a cozy fire in the fireplace, you know, a nice, nice chair to sit in and lean back, uh, you know, your favorite drink uh, sitting on a table next to you. You can create all kinds of things. But eventually, all of that is boring and you feel like you're not getting anywhere. You're not evolving. And when you do, then you want to go back. You need more interaction more experience. You need more interaction with others that have free will because that's where your challenges come from. Sitting in your own, sitting in your own dream, you know, with your fire up, you know, your feet up to the fireplace and a, and a, you know, a hot chocolate in your hand that may feel very nice for a while, but it doesn't go anywhere. And even if you have friends over, well, that doesn't really go very far either, but you get into PMR, you get into this virtual reality and suddenly the things that you do affect other people, the things that other people do affect you and you're in this dance of interaction with many other people. And there's a lot of uncertainty is in that as well, a lot of chance, things that can happen. And out of all of that rich uh, stew of, of opportunity comes choice for you to grow up. And that's why we come back. That's why we always want to come back here because otherwise we're just floating in a rowboat in the middle of the ocean someplace and nothing's happening. Nothing valuable is going on. And that urge to become more, that urge to evolve and grow pushes us and won't let us just sit and do nothing. We have to move. We have to go do something, get involved. And this is the place that has the greatest opportunity for us to evolve much more so than just being in the big chat room much more so than just being in our own little cottage you know with the fire and the drink much more so than than us inviting friends that would maybe sit around and talk with each other none of that has the ability for us to grow or creates the potential for our growth as does this virtual reality there's so much thrown at us and so much that happens here one thing leads to another. All sorts of people affect you and your choices. You affect, you know, all, a lot of other people's choices. And there's this great opportunity for growth here. That's why people keep coming. It's their urge to grow. And this is a really good place to grow. That's the connection that makes this a very attractive <laughs> place. But no, when you're out there in that non-physical, being non-physical doesn't make you wise. Only experience can eventually make you wise. And that's only if you grow from the opportunities that experience gives you. Then you'll find wisdom. You can have lots of experience and never grow from the opportunities, and you still won't have wisdom, even if you have a lot of experience. So the way you gain that wisdom is to have the experience, grasp that opportunity, grow up, and now your wisdom increases. Sitting around in the NPMR having a chat is the slow road to growing up. The very, very, very slow road to growing up. So that's why people are always anxious to come back to this virtual reality. It's the learning lab. It's the place where the challenges are come with consequences. Where it's, you know, where life is difficult here. Yes. There's a lot of heartache here, yes, but there's a lot of opportunity here. You don't get a lot of opportunity in a benign situation with you and a bunch of your friends sitting around chit-chatting. doesn't create a lot of, you know, opportunities for big steps in learning, but this VR does. So that's the attraction here is that it works. It's really a good place to grow up. And, yes, it can be painful. It can be frustrating. But you get to try again and again and again. And the more you try, the better you get. Your wisdom grows. You grow up. And pretty soon you move from just about you to teaching and helping others. And it's just part of the process. But this is the, this is the place to be. And that's true for other virtual realities as well. It's a, all of them are a good place to be. 
some better than others. Of all the ones that I've been in, I'd say this is one of the best. It's got a nice balance in its opportunities. Some places that are almost entirely negative don't. If you had a place that was almost entirely positive, it probably would have less opportunities to grow up there too. So this has got a good mix in it. It's very challenging to be here. Well, that's what it's all about is challenges and making those, you know, taking those challenges and making the, the right choices. Don't think about wanting to get out of this one because it's hard. Hard is good. And if you fail, well, you get to try again and you'll do a little better and you'll do a little better and so on. It keeps going to where you don't fail very often. Matter of fact, most of your, most of your, uh, uh, Experience packets are are very rewarding, you see, but you have to work to get yourself there. You got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps to get to that point. You can't just skip all the hard stuff and get to that point. It's like you can't skip learning the ABCs and suddenly just become a you know a, a very good at the at the English or at the whatever language you you have. You know you can't be good at a language if you don't get down and do the basics first. Once you're good at that language, you can be creative and things can be fun. But it's just a lot of work getting there. That's the way anything is worth having. A lot of work to get there. Things that don't take much work generally don't give much back. Thanks, Tom. The second part of Olaf's question is, is the content or essence of MBT at least common knowledge for entities higher up in the chain of administration? Like, for example, does the big cheese know the full big picture? And has Tom discussed the content with him or an entity with a similar position or responsibility? Well, the first part is, uh, yes, as you go higher up in the, in the chain, and it's a pretty flat organization. There's not a lot of hierarchy there. But as, as you have beings who have been around and have grown and have developed themselves, then there is an understanding of the system and what the system is and how it works. Now, you can get that understanding of the system without necessarily having the MBT model. MBT is a set of metaphors and a set of understandings that describe the system. But, you know, take the Buddha, for example. The Buddha realized the nature of reality. And in, in, in doing that, he understood how it worked, why we were here, what the situation was, you know, that we leave this and, and uh, you know, that there's another reality, that we're a subset of a larger non-physical reality. He knew all that. He didn't put it in those words. And he didn't have the MBT model. He didn't talk about, you know, Individuated units of consciousness wasn't his, his uh, metaphor, but yes, he understood it. So the more evolved beings are, the more solidly they understand the system and how it works. They may understand it in terms of their own metaphors, but they understand it just the same. And the thing really that sets the MBT set of metaphors apart is that they're logical metaphors. They start with some very simple assumptions and derive everything with logic. They're metaphors that, that connect solidly with science, with, uh, with computers, you know, with computer science and with physics, biology, and all of these. The metaphors of those sciences connect very solidly and very logically with the MBT metaphors. So it's cast the nature of our reality in the terms of our modern science metaphors. So that's really the difference with MBT, but that's not necessary for an understanding of the bigger picture. Buddha had a good understanding of the bigger picture, though he didn't have the science metaphors, but these are metaphors that particularly are valuable to people here in, you know, the 21st century particularly as VR becomes a thing here in the 21st century, they're particularly useful metaphors for people to have to help them understand how things work. Okay, so that's that's sort of the, the, the MBT 
part in all of this. It's not the only way to come to this understanding, but it is a way that is more useful and more approachable and more logical to our culture in the 21st century. And it'll only become more so as virtual reality becomes a, 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 a thing in this virtual reality. We can have virtual realities and virtual realities makes it even more obvious. So, so that's the connection. It's not just that MBT is the only way to approach it. It's, it's the way that describes our science here in this century and it enables people to understand better. You know, the Buddha explained himself in terminology that was the best he could explain it to the people of his time. Well, he explained it in terms of poetry, in terms of, uh, you know, allegory, you know, in terms of uh, metaphors that people understood that he was talking to. You try to communicate to the people that are around you. So his metaphors are culturally based, just as are mine. You know, you take the, the Sufis and you take, uh, you know, the Kabbalists and you take all the, the, uh, you know, the Aborigines dreamers and all, all of those things. They're all couched in a, in a, in a set of metaphors that the people who, you know, who heard those things and who are parts of those, those, uh, uh, philosophies, they understand them within those terms. But metaphors can be limiting. So your metaphors can also limit how you think about things. The good news about scientific metaphors is that they are not poetical, they're logical, and therefore they're not as limiting. They don't have to be interpreted so much as they just have to be understood. So that makes them, I think, a little better metaphor, but you know, better is in the eye of the beholder. You know, that poetry just sings to you, then that maybe be the better, the better metaphor for you. Sometimes science just doesn't compute to people. A lot of right brain people see the logic and they just can't grasp it that way. Well, it's not a good set of metaphors for them. They need other, other metaphors. So hopefully, Olaf, I've answered your, your questions. All right, Tom. Yes, thank you, Olaf, for your question. The next question comes from Gary. Hi, Tom. You've often spoken about how there is no way of telling where our thoughts come from, as they do not come with labels, saying this is from the LCS, and this is from another IUOC, and this is from my imagination. You just spoke about this um, in this current uh, session. You said we can never know for certain because the data streams are all jumbled together. Is this also the case of somebody who is an experienced healer who has great success at healing people or animals? Is it not true to say that an accurate diagnosis is essential to the healing process and that to be successful, the information about the health condition of that avatar must therefore come from that particular IUOC because that is where the healer's intent is focused. With a successful diagnosis, it appears that there is a direct connection between the healer's focused query and the information received. Or in the case of, for example, remote viewing, the information must come from the LCS as the data is held in the databases. Maybe the information in both cases is actually from the LCS, but in any case, if the outcome is accurate and successful, it is safe to say it did not come from the imagination of the healer or the remote viewer. In these cases, is the source of the information, in effect, therefore, clearly labeled? Thank you. Okay. Well, we'll just answer the last, the very last question first, and that is uh, no. It's not that it's clearly labeled. It's just that the, the practitioner has gotten very good at accessing that kind of data from the database. It doesn't mean that it's come labeled. It's just that it's with experience, the practitioner knows how to get that particular kind of data. Now you ask them for a different kind of data and they may not be very good at that. Just because you're good at one thing doesn't make you good at everything. 
Okay? You're just good at doing a particular thing, a particular process, and that works for you, and you hone that, then you can get to where you are very confident that the information you get is exactly right. Because you've just built up that confidence and that ability to access it. But it tends to be very narrowly defined. Change it a little bit and the confidence that it's right starts to, starts to waver. Okay. So just because you can do one thing doesn't mean you can do another. Just because you're a, you're a supreme healer doesn't mean you can remote view. Just because you're a supreme remote viewer doesn't mean you can heal anybody. Just because you remote view, which is getting data out of a database, doesn't mean that uh, you're going to see auras. A lot of great remote viewers probably never seen an aura before. You see, yes, it's all getting data out of a database, but don't think of it as a mecha, you know mechanistic thing. Like, well, if I can, if I know how to use Google, then I can get anything I want out of Google. It's not just like that. It has to do a lot with you and your intent and your focus. And all of that can be very precisely learned such that you get accurate information and you learn it with practice and repetition and by experimenting and using what works and not using what doesn't work. Pretty soon you get a feeling for that right information. And when it feels right, it is right. And you can depend on it. See? And that feeling, what is that feeling? Well, somebody had to describe it. What exactly does it feel like when the information's right? Well, people wouldn't be able to just tell you that. They just say, well, when it's right, I know it. Even remote viewers, when they get a remote view and they say, ah, I got that one. It just felt right. Well, most of the time, that's when they nail it and it is right. And if they say, well, I think I maybe got that, but I'm not sure. Well, that's when they make mistakes because it didn't feel right. Well, that feeling isn't an objective, logical thing. It's an internal thing when you know that you have made the connection. Feels right. So when you practice enough, you get to the point that it feels right. And anything is like that. If you talk to an athlete and the athlete is doing whatever it is they do, you know, and you can say, wow, you threw that javelin farther than you've ever thrown it before. What did, What was that? And they'll tell you. Oh, everything just flowed. It feel just right. I knew it was a good throw. See, so it doesn't, it's not just for the non-physical, but even in physical process, you get that same thing. When it all pulls together perfectly, have a feeling that it's right. Your intuition is connected. It's an intuitive being level thing when it's right. That's the source of the feeling. It's not an intellectual thing. Okay, so the, the feeling thing is an intellectual. Now, it is wrong to believe that that diagnosis is a is a necessary part of healing. It is not. Those are two different things. Diagnosis is getting data out of a database. Healing is modifying future probability. Okay, two different things altogether. Some healers never do a diagnosis. It's not important to them. They just heal. They don't care what the problem is. Whatever the problem is, they just heal the problem. They just take the metaphor, the problem, and let that be what they focus on. It doesn't have to be specific. Okay, Some healers work that way. Other healers do better if they have a very specific thing that they're trying to do. Oh, I'm trying to change all the little blood cells that have the sickle-shaped uh, you know, blood cells to blood cells that have a, a rounder shape. Well, they're trying to cure sickle cell anemia, and they're specifically working on the shape of individual blood cells. That's very specific. So healers can work in all sorts of ways, but knowing the specifics of the illness are not necessary. They are used sometimes, and they may be necessary to some healers, but they're not fundamentally necessary. They may enable the healer to to uh, put more energy on a very specific spot, okay? but then if you had enough power, you don't need to worry about putting energy on specific spots. You can just clean the whole thing up as a whole. So you see, it's not fundamentally necessary. Those are two different things altogether. 
So the two points here um, in running through your questions, you had like four or five questions in there, but running through those questions, the, the idea is that, you know, the healing and the getting the data from the database, the, the doing diagnosis are two, two different sorts of things. And you can be good at one and not good at the other, or you can be good at both. It's, I don't say that our, that our thoughts are all jumbled and we don't know the source of our thoughts. I wouldn't say it that way, though that you could possibly construe that, but I'd rather say that we don't know the source of our incoming data, the data streams we get, the information we get. We don't know the source. Now we can know our thoughts when we are the one doing the thoughts. We're doing analysis on something. All right. I have this puzzle. And I'm going to think my way through this puzzle. First, I lift this piece, and then I have to twist it, and then I have to twist the other piece such a way I'm doing a Rubik's Cube. Okay, well, those are my thoughts. I know where those thoughts are coming from. I'm thinking them. When I'm doing analysis, I know exactly where my thoughts are coming from. Okay, They're mine. But when I'm getting data streams, I could get the data stream from me. I could get it from the larger system. I could get it from some other individuated unit of consciousness and they don't come with tags so you never know exactly where it's coming from with practice you can get to the point where you have a very good feeling of where it's coming from and that feeling if you're very practiced can be almost always true but best to always stay skeptical Okay, I feel very good about this one. That healing went really well. I think we're going to help that person. Well, that's good. But as soon as you get to the point that you make that that point nine 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 into a one, yes, you know, I know exactly what this is, and it has to be this. And you start talking in terms of always, never, has to be, you know, those things that don't have any room for for uh, fluctuation then you'll find out that's when it starts to deteriorate and your abilities start to decrease because <clears throat> now you've entered into belief. Belief isn't helpful. You need to always be a bit skeptical. But yes, with practice, you can get the feel of it, which is an intuitive link with the system so that you know what you've gotten and how you've gotten it. And again, it doesn't matter where it comes from. You just know it's right. We can make up all kinds of intermediaries. We can say, well, I'm remote viewing, and boy, I know I got that right because I got a message from my guide. Or, you know, that was a connection to the LCS. Or any number of any other things you might want to think of that you can put intermediaries in there. But I lump all that up into the LCS. <clears throat> 